Watch out now. This stings. Let's take a look. Hello, and a welcome once more to another fabulous, fantastic, whimsical, lucrative, very seductive episode of Young Nostalgia. I'm Nolan, as always. Are we stalling for the outro music already? (laughs) Ben is beside me. And uh, episode 109 for you guys today as we discuss our hot takes on the 1972 film called The Sting, starring uh, Robert Shaw, Robert Redford, and Paul Newman, as well as a cast of others. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. And just for clarification, it is 1973. Ah, that stings. Yep. Close. The only reason I know that's because I happen to be on the Wikipedia page right now reading the uh, cast list. So, thank you. Welcome. I was really hoping that I, I was really hoping that you would just still say, "Yep, 1972." But and then you know, nope, sorry. Well, I feel like I feel like this is a relatively known movie, so I thought maybe someone would call us on it. Oh, okay, that's true. That's true. I do have the vinyl soundtrack to this movie. Which, do you actually? Oh yeah, which I which I dare say is quite good. The soundtrack, at least. When did you get? Have you had stuff. that for a while? Uh maybe a year. It was a. It was pretty much a hammer down from. Oh, uh, my mother. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Right. So I had no cool. idea that you had the sound on. Had the soundtrack. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Dude, I literally have every movie's soundtrack. Whoa! Literally everything. Whoa! Yeah. I feel like. Right. <laughs> I feel like that's a really valuable collection. Like, do you keep it in a warehouse? Because there's a lot of movies out there. Yeah, you you have no idea how many people I had to get on board with this. <laughs> yeah, it's a big warehouse. It's the biggest warehouse. Some might say it's my warehouse. the greatest of warehouses. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that was great. That was really good. I I really appreciated that. Okay, well, we're kind of short on time in terms of real-life recording, so we need to get moving on this bad boy. Plus, we're a little bit late for releasing the episode anyway. Life happens, but I'm excited to get into this. This has been Ben's long time, one of his favorite movies, and this was my first time ever watching it, and it's our hot takes. So what do you think, big guy? Should we get into it? let's do it. Let's do it. No talking during the transition that time. Professional. That was a longer. That was, yeah, that was a longer break than usual. We felt kind of tied up. Good to be back in front of the mic. Okay, <laughs> episode one hundred and nine, continuing. Uh, so should we do it just like we have been doing recently, where the person that hasn't seen the movie before goes first, and then we'll take it from there. Yep. Might as not. Might as well stick with tradition here. Let's do it. All right. First thoughts. So probably just kind of chronological order in terms of, obviously, I watched the movie from beginning to end. So these are my thoughts. Oh, you watched it from beginning to end? I should have known. I watched it back to front. (laughs) I started like three quarters, finished that, then started at two quarters to three quarters, and then one quarter. Oh, of course. It's so obvious. Yeah. Right. That's that's the best way to do it. (laughs) 
I like to ruin the movie before I watch the ma- majority of the plot. Right, right. It, it makes everything literally make more sense. <laughs> Looking at it in terms of making sense, that is a really good way of like trying to follow a movie. I guess that's true. Yeah, start for like almost the end, and then work your way like forward, then right. back. I mean, granted, the entire watching value of the movie is gone, but you'll right. understand it better. Right. I cannot watch The Sixth Sense with anybody anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, my first hot take is the beginning credits of this movie in general. So the movie is set back in like the 1930s, filmed in the 1970s. But I also felt like it had a very like 1930s filmography f- feel. I mean... I am no expert and have never watched a movie made in the 1930s. If there are even more like movies made there, which I'm sure there probably was, but it kind of had the sense of almost like a black and white, like silent movie almost like, I don't know the way it looked and the way they like acted on screen gave me that feel of like 19, 1930s. But anyway, the beginning credits were super neat because it was actually like out of a sketchbook and the pages would turn and they'd show real life footage of like the actor or actress playing their part in the movie with the character name and the face and who is playing them, which I thought was really cool because right in the beginning you're like, okay, so based on the surroundings of this character in this little short introducing them in the beginning almost gives you a little feel of how they're going to play an integral part in the movie. And I really kind of like that. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's you really don't see that ever. In most movies, it's pretty standard for uh, characters to be introduced as the movie goes on. Obviously, there's gonna mm-hmm. you're, they're gonna tell you the uh, uh, top build stars at the beginning of the movie, but we really don't know anything about them other than, at the very least, the actor's name and maybe the character name. Uh, in this one, it right. pretty much kind of introduces you to all the major characters before the movie even starts. Um, right. It, it, it Like, doesn't Duke, Dukes of Hazard do that kind of thing, right? Like, in the whole beginning sequence, right? And then they pause on each character. Is that Dukes of Hazzard? Or I don't know. I've never watched it. I've never watched an episode or a movie of Dukes of Hazzard. Oh. oh, okay. All right, then. Never mind. I, I, I can't remember. Like, I, I know there's something that, that did this kind of thing. But even then, taking this kind of style of credits mostly you see it at the end of movies you know where you see the whole movie and then they take stills from those characters throughout the movie and then they pause and say blah 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 starring blah 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 like played by this this person right yeah yeah i mean i've seen it i definitely have seen it before um but it's just something we don't see all that much i mean i think especially in modern movies i mean you're lucky to you're lucky to even know the character's name that the actor is playing. Mm. You know, I mean, they introduce right. the characters from the absolute ground up. Sometimes not even like till half hour into the, into the movie. Right. Right. <clears throat> Crazy. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, okay. Uh, moving on to the next one. Do it. Okay, <laughs> I just didn't know if you had anything more to expand on that. Like we had something. No, no. I mean, there, there's some about. stuff, um, but I see that you're going to get to them here later, so I'll just. Uh, oh, okay, I'll let cool. It play out. Cool. 
I love it. I appreciate you, man, more than you'll ever know. <laughs> We're getting deep today here, folks. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> 109 episodes deep, baby. <laughs> All right, my next hot take. I actually, I absolutely loved the ragtime music throughout the whole movie, but I did realize that it really only played in transitions and then the beginning and the end of the movie, you know? So like beginning credits, they had who's starring as what character, and then it would kind of resurface every now and then for, you know, 20, 30 seconds as they did the transitions of key moments of the of the. Uh, of the movie. So something that struck out to me was that the movie itself was kind of sectioned out where you'd have like part one, part two, part mm-hmm. three or whatever. And it would like have a title, another like sketch of the characters or like an important scene that was going to kick off that segment or that was going to happen that segment. And then it, the page would turn and then we'd get back into the movie. But that was really the only time that the ragtime music came back which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, and it's, uh, <clears throat> I guess, as far as, you know, the, the slide transitions of the movie, it's almost set up like really old movies and uh, plays where they're, they're, they're basically acts instead of, you know, right, it's not really right. an intermission, but it kind of something that designates a major change in the storyline that would be, I don't know, there was at least three or four different acts to the whole movie. And they each had their own title too, like the setup or, you know, and then the last one yeah. was, uh, I don't remember if it was the sting or if it was the, uh, I, I think so. Uh, it was something like that, but yeah, they had kind of an overarching title to them and it's was set up exactly like acts in a play or, a or, or an old movie. Um, mm-hmm. um, even down to the, the styling of the slide that was showing. I mean, that's exactly what, probably what someone would have seen in a movie or a theater uh, uh, in a theater in 1936, which is pretty cool. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, I think you were, I think you said it, but I guess maybe I was misunderstanding you a little bit. Yeah. I think we, we definitely 90% of the music that we hear in the movie is on these transitions. Um, mm-hmm. But I think a couple times they, and maybe this is what you meant. I think a couple times they did play it when there was like a, there wasn't necessarily any dialogue or anything substantive to the scene they were showing, but it was like a, like a montage kind of scene. Okay. Almost. Okay. I, I, I can't pick up any off the top of my head, but it was basically in the setup to the final, the, the big con at the end, um, where they'd show characters getting things ready or pulling off some small little job to set up for the big sting. Um, and I think they okay. had a little bit of music in the background of that as well, which is basically the same thing. It's kind of a transition. They're showing the progression of, of you know, the setup of the sting. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah, it just took me by surprise because like, you know, the music definitely wasn't prominent during those times. Mm-hmm. And and it was crazy how much it, it just kind of got turned up and then was prominent. But I I don't know. It's crazy because like, even with these old movies, I'm blown away by the audio quality. Like, like you could you could definitely hear it in the scenes where they're in this the fake like racetrack betting <laughs> setup, 
And there's so much going on, but you feel like you're planted in the middle of that room and can hear every little thing. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Like, it's very immersive for me because because there's no, like, background music constantly and that's all I hear. It's like, that's what that's what it would be like if I was in this movie. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't hear background music. And it's crazy. I love it. You know, it. that's a... That's a really good point that I hadn't ever thought about before. And this movie is a perfect example of when there isn't that background music, it is, I, it is definitely easier to put yourself into the scene. Um, mm-hmm. Like you were talking about in the fake, uh, the, in the fake uh, horse bedding scenes. Um, yeah. I mean, you can hear the crowd of people in the room around you, the clink of glasses. Um, right. Right. And especially in the, in the, the, like the, I don't know what to call it, the broadcasting room, um, where the guy's reading the ticker tape. I mean, you hear the machine just going nuts and he's reading, you can hear the, the, the crinkliness of the, of the paper in his hands and you can hear all of it uninterrupted by any music. And yeah, that's, you are totally right on that. It is so much easier to put yourself into the scene that way. Right. And, and especially with a big point that you and I will talk about later where it's like you as a viewer being put in that kind of environment and kind of following along with what's going on, that almost helps and intensifies how us as viewers were even set up from the beginning. Like the whole movie is a setup for the characters in the movie and the people watching the movie. It's freaking crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, blew, it blew my yeah, mind. This is definitely a twisty movie and you have to, it you know, it doesn't. It doesn't have, it's not difficult for it to hold your attention at all, but you do have to make sure you're paying attention because, I mean, if you miss five minutes and you can be totally lost as to what's going on. Um, exactly. Just because things change so fast. Well, you thought this person was working for this person, and then, oh, wait, now he's working with someone else. And yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it's freaking crazy. It happens like yeah, I love every it. 10 minutes. Right. Right. And, and it's like same people flopping back and forth. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that actually leads right into my next point of like taking the whole movie as a whole. It's like right from the beginning, the movie almost sets you up to be like, I don't know what to believe. Yes. But the whole movie was also like set up, oh, believe these guys because they're the ones getting even with this mobster. Right. But you're still like, well, this whole time, I don't know who to believe because people are acting so differently in each scene. So a good example is this, like the first scene is the beginning grift thinking Hooker and Luther were actually not together where Luther got like stabbed or whatever. And then you think Hooker is like this good guy, like trying to help him out. Turns out they set this other guy up to deliver a wad of paper and no money and they take his money with it Mm -hmm. because yeah it's freaking crazy so right from the get-go you're like i don't know i I actually don't know what to believe because these people are obviously professionals in the field of conning people right well and and it's setting up kind of two things there it's setting up the viewer to not necessarily always believe exactly what they're watching but it's also setting up the plot of the movie in general because uh you know the money that they ended up stealing was uh he was actually a runner taking money back uh to new york to the mob boss and they basically were stealing right. they stole a large sum of money directly from a mob boss which is right i mean that's never good that's obviously the spark point of the entire plot right 
Right. <clears throat> I love it. It was crazy. They did a very good job. Um, yeah, so something what also like kind of was put put in you uh, from the very beginning is that once things kind of started going off and then Gondorf and Hooker were kind of teaming up, the movie itself made you think that Hooker was being tailed or being set up by the feds or the mob or something like that, being like, well, we don't fully trust this Hooker guy. Um, or it could have been Snyder or something, Detective Snyder. But it actually turns out Gondorf was way ahead of the game and was actually purposely trailing Hooker for his own protection. Kind of almost like Gondorf's a seasoned veteran and knows that Hooker doesn't like constantly watch his back. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's able to pick up on that. Yes. Hooker is good at what he does, but he's also going to play directly into this trap. And uh, unbeknownst to Hooker, he does tail him and, and, and saves him. Um, right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's the whole backstory on Gondorf is that he was a fair. I wouldn't necessarily say big time, but he was a pretty well-established uh, grifter and con man. Um, and he was re- uh, really well-experienced. And, you know, his kind of backstory, the reason why he was not really doing much anything, he was basically a mechanic at a, uh, uh, like a merry-go-round. And uh, he also worked, I mean, basically, I mean, there was gambling involved as well. You know, at, at this right. establishment, it was kind of a front. <laughs> but anyway, um, he was kind of out of it for a long time because he screwed up once. And he was kind of right. making his way up to the big times. And in this business, he screwed up really bad. And that's pretty much it. There's not really any coming back. Um, and so he had the experience. And, you know, that's what he used. He, he just could see, look at the situation and know exactly what was going on. Exactly. Exactly. It's cool. Almost like this guy had an air of respect around him, but also Hooker was like, okay, so you screw up once and then you let your life get like this almost. And so Hooker's respect wasn't there, but you were like, well, Gondorf knows what he's doing though. Right. Almost, almost like the movie was like, gave you a little bit of respect for Gondorf just based on his backstory. But the movie also worked up to like show you that like, yeah, Gondorf is not worthless. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a, I mean, just looking at his life in general, it's kind of like a redemption kind of story if you look at just his part right. of the movie. Right, right. I like that, man. Gondorf was a really cool character. Great. I mean, Paul Newman, amazing, yes. always, like you said. But the character itself was very well portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little side note, like we kind of talked about that fir- first <laughs> grift by Luther and hooker and i just love the idea almost throughout the whole movie where it's like money talks right i mean today for most part money does talk but like back then it was super huge especially because like around depression time so the first thing that comes to mind is ooh, big score equals new suit let's go get a new suit and like you know puts you at like in your mind and out to the public like a step above so I thought that was crazy. And then immediately he goes and like blows on the money he just got on tables. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, that kind of... But he got a new suit, so... Well, part of that is a really good setup for Hooker's character. Um, you know, it shows that, you know, they're kind of set enough that he's really good at what he does, but that also he's he's not playing the long game. 
Oh, I see. Where it's like he's a he's a I, I don't want to say spitfire, but he's just like eager, I guess, all the time. Where he's like, okay, well, I got this. This is all that matters right now. Once that's gone, I'll worry about the right, next yeah. thing. Right? Yeah, and he's not looking. He's not looking at things in the long term. He's not looking for a setup to a big payoff. It's just a series of, you know, it's just a series of cons and you immediately blow it and have to go out and do another job to uh, get back some money and then immediately blow it. And, and it kind of is, they're showing his skill, showing that he has skill, but he lacks maturity, I guess. Right. Is a right. good way of yeah, saying good it. Yeah, call. Um, that is a good maturity and experience and and kind of the whole movie is they kind of base a lot of the movie on that as well of him being good at what he does but still needs to learn how to work himself towards the end result rather than just a quick buck right right absolutely i love it i love 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 it um Next point here, talking about the the way the law is actually portrayed. And it's interesting that we actually watched two movies that were made within two years of each other. And they both kind of, you know, involve law enforcement mm-hmm. in some way. Because I can draw a few, like, similarities between the two. But a lot of times in, like, movies like this where you follow kind of the drifters, the grifters, the bad guys per se, the law is always portrayed as use any force as any means necessary to get to like a means to an end, right? Which is catch the guys doing the bad thing. They always escape us right at the right when we're about to get them. But if we punch them in the gut a few times, they'll know we mean business. Um, so I, I, I thought that how that's a big thing. But then also when the FBI came involved really late, into the movie they were the ones with like the clean pressed suits like had a secret warehouse that knew everything that was going on you know oh yeah definitely i mean it's like they both of the movies that we're talking about here i mean they show a clear difference between local jurisdictions and the feds pretty much right um right and they they in that distinction, they were pretty much saying the same thing. Look how in in uh, Dog Day Afternoon, it was obviously portraying local uh, jurisdictions as kind of incompetent um, while the feds were professional. And in this case, it was the local police was uh, super corrupt and right. the feds were the kind of knight in shining armor. Right, right. Right, being like we're gonna tie this whole thing up with a nice little bow, and we'll call it quits. Right. And 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 as far as like the, you know, use any force or means necessary, um, you know, there's there's so much, there's so much that goes into that because you know, there was police here and there, but for the most part, it was kind of the, the Snyder was kind of the main figure that we saw in any local law enforcement. Um, right, and you know, a lot of this was. You know, instead of, you know, just a nice gentle arrest and taken off to jail, it was, you know, beat the crap out of somebody. A lot of this was because of the level of corruption, you know. I mean, so, you know, if he's involved in whatever shady business that Snyder's involved in 
and he catches Hooker, and Hooker knows he's not stupid. And well, it does. I guess it doesn't necessarily matter on Hooker, anybody involved. I mean, right. Snyder has he really can't do anything but threaten him, because if you just immediately just arrest him and take him to jail, what's he going to do immediately? He's going to try to turn in Snyder for what he's doing. Right, so right. You have right. basically it almost forces him into intimidation, um, uh-huh. rather than actually upholding whatever law he's supposed to be upholding. Um, right. And we see him several times instead of even. It's not even like he was trying to get him to quit committing crimes. He was kind of trying to work his way in and get some cash under the table for keeping quiet. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. So a lot of the what he does to specifically to Hooker, you know, it's less about, you know, using any means necessary and more about continuing his corrupt ways. Right. Being like, you've been a thorn on my side for so long. Like, mm-hmm. come on. Yeah. Exactly. I'm with you. Cool. Now, okay. Now you're going to have to refresh me because I put this in my notes, but I'm not sure if it's exactly right. Okay. So, so Snyder wasn't in on it as all, at all. It was the feds, right? Who, 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 some sort of law enforcement were in on it because they, in the ending scene, somebody shot. Obviously, they didn't actually get shot. And then they ushered Lonigan out of there, and no cops were around at the time. Oh, yeah. Well, they were. Sub- yeah, okay, you know what you know what I'm saying. Well, okay. So we should probably make a distinction because what you know the feds in the end who actually came in and supposedly were busting the the gambling ring, right? They were not. They were not feds. They were just part of the crew. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the feds in the earlier when like Snyder brought Hooker in and they made like that deal was those actually feds, but then, but then part of the crew was like, oh no, we're the feds, let's go. And then they went with Snyder and then they fooled Snyder that way, got everybody out of there, so then they can escape. I, I it, it lost me. Like I got what happened, but I was lost. See, if I'm not a hundred percent sure on that because they don't. They don't necessarily show that super well. But okay. basically, towards the end of the movie, anything Fed-related was... Uh, it was all a ploy to fake the busting of the gambling ring, get the, okay. get Lonigan's crew to get him out of there and get him away after he had bet Deposited that huge sum money, of money, right? and then everyone bounces right. with the money. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. So, so the feds were used as a ploy to distract Snyder and use as kind of like an authority cover up. Yes. While busting yes, the place. Yes, it was okay. all a ploy to make it look like the feds were breaking up the gambling ring. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Because, like, in my mind, when the feds came across, I was like, okay, I mean, I get that the feds would probably know about this operation, but I also am like, eh? Mm hmm. There's no way that the feds could have this much information plus this tapped into it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was like kind of weary and I was like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? I'm not sure if I even trust these guys. So, it, and it's crazy like how much Hooker sells his reactions, you know? Like you can tell Hooker is like on edge when he's talking to the feds. 
and I, you know, and, and obviously Hooker is in on it. So that whole thing is, is just great. And that's what makes the viewers themselves sold on the entire story of this movie. Well, like, that's what I can't get over is it's like from beginning to end, I was played and I didn't even care because it was awesome. They did such a good job. Well, I think part of the reason they show that so much where it, it they're very obviously trying to show that you know hooker is having these genuine re- reactions to what's going on it makes me kind of think that he was a little bit in the dark about some of the fine points of the plan because oh, sometimes oh, okay, he legitimately okay. looks surprised eyes wide like i not really sure what's going on now and it kind of forces him to right. fly by the seat of his pants but i think okay. that was intentional uh from uh, Gondorf's part to keep, you know, this whole this whole thing is all contingent on a lot of different variables, and so it by nature there's some kind of, you know, uh, you gotta just use your gut and play it out, um, right, and right, roll with the flow, uh, and I think they showed that to kind of, I think they were alluding to Hooker not 100 percent sure what's going on in a few times, ah. Uh. Interesting. So almost like Gondorf can only trust himself 100%. So he like only gave what you needed to perform your duties for the con and that's it. Yes. Yeah, kind of. And I think it was less about Gondorf being only able to trust himself. I think it was about everyone had to have full trust in everybody. Oh, like okay. Have, I see like, what you're saying. Uh, Hooker had to trust Gondorf that he knew what he was doing. Gondorf had to trust right. Hooker that he would uh, a know what he's doing or b react appropriately. Um, right. And that and that goes along with pretty much everyone involved in the sting, um, because there's so much setup that basically you can only kind of dole out, get this done, get this done, get this done, and right. Uh, it all has to be ready in the end and there has to be a trust in everybody that they'll do their job and do it correctly right and i don't think it's like tell me if this is weird to say or anything but like i love the movie fantastic movie and the reason why i love it even more is the fact that nothing went wrong Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like a lot of times with these movies somebody would screw up or break character or some sort of weak link, you know, mm-hmm. but this, it, it didn't have any, which is, I, I loved that Yeah, where it's like right at the end where you're like, everything was going so good. Then all of a sudden they get shot. Turns out, nope, they're actually alive. And it's like, everything went exactly the way they wanted it to. And I think that's what makes it such a top notch movie for me because there's no tropes. There's no like, oh yeah, of course this would happen or expectations Everything was literally 100%. It was amazing. Oh, I loved definitely. It. And a lot of those movies that do have those, they kind of like a stereotypical uh, something goes wrong, mm-hmm. you know, they, and that's basically driving the plot forward because they have to figure out a new plan really quick, make it work, and right, right. have the same outcome in the end. Well, the, part of the fun of this movie is because it's because everything goes perfect and they succeed phenomenally. Um, right and the plan itself is so outlandish that it's it's its own plot it doesn't need anything like that exactly exactly i but love yeah, that's it that's definitely fantastic. like the huge fun of this movie is that 
this crazy thing that they're doing goes perfect. Right, right. <laughs> and even uh, though they're criminals, God, I, I you feel it. so good for the protagonist. <laughs> yes, yes. O- almost, almost like, oh, that's perfect. That's a perfect transition. So I I related quite a bit from this movie to the Ocean's Eleven movie. Uh-huh. Like maybe not the old one because that one, my uh, memory is kind of blurred. But if you take it from the new remakes in the early 2000s with – um Brad Pitt, George Clooney, and all them, like, I get those same kind of vibes. It's nuts. So especially with, like, the sleight of hand, I think sleight of hand mm-hmm. of characters and the movement and just seeing things come together is amazing. So this was huge and evident on the whole big train sequence of stealing Lonigan's wallet and then just kind of, like, the character that Gondorf inhabited to just piss off Lonigan mm-hmm. during the entire poker game. <laughs> I think was just gorgeous. I thought it was great filmography. My favorite scene in the whole movie is just the way that Gondorf and Paul Newman acts that whole whole when poker they're well, scene. when they're it's playing fantastic. cards on the train. Yeah, when they're playing cards on the train. I loved that. It's great. I mean like I also just really love watching people playing cards anyway but holy crap does it show that anger controls people oh yeah yeah i mean it's the whole time he's pretending to be just sloppy drunk but actually he is totally he has uh lonigan in the palm of his hand the entire time and he knows that oh yeah he's extremely uh prideful and knows that uh he's extremely easy to aggravate um and he's pushing his buttons the entire night Right, right, um, right. And the fact that he wins. It, well, I guess uh-huh. Lonigan loses to basically a drunk. Right, <laughs> and, and he loses based on his own stacked deck. Right, yeah. And <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you know, to him, he loses to his own stacked deck. Yeah, but. well, they actually made a they made a comment about it later on, said something about uh, uh, Lonigan's talking to his henchman. He's like, well, we got to go get like the money back like it like he cheated and uh oh. the guy's like i cheated too he was just better than me at it <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic i must have missed that yeah i love um, that yeah super super good um it is and and that that was actually like the long theme of this movie is like and with any big like grifter or con like heist thing, it's like building trust with the person that you're trying to steal from. And this whole like train sequence really started that because of the way Hooker approached Lonigan being like, look, he's my boss and I want to steal from him. So he's like, I'm sorry that happened, but don't worry, I'll get you back because I know the ins and outs. And from that point on, Lonigan had a, a face that he trusted within gondorf's operation which obviously they were in on it but like from the beginning lonigan was easy to be played because he was angry about that poker game so now he has somebody to blindly steal from gondorf yeah yeah, the whole time uh from lonigan's point of view he's getting involved with all this stuff because he wants to get gondorf back um right and ultimately that's what his huge bet is at the very end it was supposed to be you know they're basically they're fixing horse races and uh mm-hmm. or they're they're faking horse races i should say and uh right the whole big thing was build up build up build up and at the very end he was going to bet this huge sum of money when it was 
he was supposed to win and basically break Gondorf. Um, right. And in, obviously, in the end, he uh, he loses and gets ushered out, and he loses all his money, and they pack up and leave, and blah blah <laughs> blah. But um, right. Yeah, and so that was Lonigan's end game was to get involved, pretend to be kind of on his side, maybe want to join hands a little bit, but then break him in the end. Um, yeah, I mean, gosh, I. It's just. I tell you what, I, I I will tell you, you have to watch this movie several times. Um, yeah, to pick up to everything. Say, I could see you, that. Every time I've seen it a ton of times, I pick up something new every single time. I love it. I, I I will definitely have this on the on the rotating we watch list and and something else that like so apart from the train scene, I also what really caught me was um, the scene where he went in for a second bet but couldn't place it. Mm-hmm. So that's another like I think that was the 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 thing that tipped him over the edge right because. Lonigan was having trouble being like, I don't know. I don't trust the bookie. I'm not fully bought in yet. So then that whole scene was like, he goes in, he's like, I need to place this big bet and he doesn't place it, but the bet quote unquote comes true. Right. So he's like, okay, well they're not bullshitting me around here. I just like out of real life happenstance, wasn't able to get it, you know? And he also doesn't want to come out and be like, put himself out as cheating in front of everybody. So obviously he comes back and he'd be like, okay, well now that I know that they're one telling the truth and two hooker is also telling the truth, I'm going to place this big money because it's all or nothing at this point. So right. that I feel like on top of the train scene and just the trust, I don't know. It was perfect. Well, I love it. That. Just kind like, of sh- I was getting a kick out of Lonigan getting mad, not being able to get the, Oh bat. yeah, it was I great. It was pretty funny. Um, and yeah. you know, it just kind of shows how deep their plan was because they weren't trying to move too fast. Um, they exactly. were stringing him exactly. along a little bit, reeling him in nice and slow. So they don't spook him and lose him or cause some sort of, mm-hmm. you know, retaliation. He doesn't send out some, uh, you know, there isn't, he's not, starting some sort of investigation to figure out what's really going on. You know, they're kind of stringing them along nice and gentle to really get them trusting what they're doing. Right. Right. I love it, man. It's freaking great. And then just to end the points here, um, talking about just like the ending itself, like I was totally bought in and into this movie, not necessarily knowing up from down but <laughs> the fact that the ending itself surprised me so much like literally the best setup con movie i have seen like freaking nuts like michelle can attest to this like i was sitting on the couch watching this and then all of a sudden shots get fired and then there's blood spouting out of them and i'm like what <laughs> What the hell just happened, you know? And then everyone's like, you know, everything's all just up in a tizzy and things are just on fire. And then they get ushered out. Lonigan's all pissed because safety over his money and all that kind of stuff. Then all of a sudden, here it is. They're smiling, laughing. They get up and they're like, we got to get out of here. Yep. Because like that whole scene of Hooker in his in this like hotel room or whatever before he was almost set up by one of Lonigan's henchmen. He put something in his mouth or there was something weird going on there mm-hmm. where drawers were completely empty, but just the way he was getting ready. And I was like, I it was almost like it was weird, but inconsequential to be like remembering that scene and how weird it was. So it was like, whatever, this whole movie's kind of weird. So 
I I just it well, it set me up, man. Oh, yeah, I was I was knocked back. It's not definitely. I mean, for the, that that final scene after basically after that final scene for a first time watcher, you know, the FBI the okay the fake FBI agent walks over to Hooker mm-hmm. and kind of leans over him. He says, "All right, he's gone." And he opens his eyes. Yeah, yeah. He wipes the blood yeah. off, and then they start celebrating. It's like to a first time oh watcher, it's like, wait, what? Yes, and and like the crazy thing is, is that it happened all so fast. I think that's what like really messed me up is that the fact that the FBI and Snyder just burst in, right? And then everyone's like, oh god, oh my god! And then like without even a second thought, those freaking shots fired. And I'm like, what? <laughs> It, yeah, I, I think I think the pacing of it, it, it it's great. It was perfect. Yes, I I love it. I tell you what, you give it a couple months and then watch it again and see how much more stuff you pick up on. Everything's gonna click uh, even more. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much stuff to be to to look. I mean, just subtle things like uh, body language throughout the movie. You'll you'll notice and totally uh-huh. will change certain certain scenes. Right. I need to look into purchasing that purchasing this because if I rewatch it every few months, that's three ninety nine every few months, I might as well just get the get the Blu ray steelbook edition. There you go. Uh <laughs> one thing I wanted to get I wanted to ask you about. Did you Luther Coleman? Did you recognize yes. him? Specifically his voice? As in the the actor himself. Yep. Uh I mean it's not James. Earl Jones. No, his name is Robert Earl Jones. Wait, are you kidding nope. me? James Earl Jones's what? father. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I can totally see the resemblance now that you yep. say that. Dude, that's freaking yep. nuts. And and he looks pretty similar, but no I tell you way. what, his voice, especially when they're sitting in his kitchen talking at the table, he is just like it sounds Wow. Well, I guess James Earl Jones sounds just like his father, Robert. Oh, that's crazy, dude. <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy that. No free that's nuts. That just made my day. I hope you know that. Absolutely freaking made my day. Mm. Oh my god. Well, that was pretty much my uh laundry list of hot takes from the sting. Amazing movie. Freaking loved it. Is there anything that you wanted to cover before we log off? Uh I think I'm good. We pretty much ended up talking about most of my stuff pretty much throughout your section so i think i'm good um okay and i love how that's been like that's been how it is you know <laughs> like we trade off you know it, it's like you always go through and hit the points that i put down if it was one of my recommendations or vice versa you mm-hmm. know i love it yeah it works out pretty good how we we basically we put our thoughts in two almost even two separate pages and we look at right. our own and we don't really look at each other's until you know, till the actual time of recording so that it's pretty fresh and we ended up pretty much just covering each other's notes the whole time. Right. It's a good sign of one friendship and two, we see the same things in movies that we enjoy. So I love it. I love it. Cool. I, I think that rounds us out pretty good, man. Ah, perfect timing. I mean, this was exactly when we needed to stop. Yeah, yeah, a little up against a little bit of a time constraint today, but uh, I think we did pretty good. I think so too. What? Uh, okay, well, I can add eight minutes of silence to bring it to fifty-one minutes for the episode. Yes, all of our other movies. Yes. <laughs> so, all right. So, 
all this entire series that we've done so far on these movies, for whatever reason, every single one of them has come out to be exactly 51 minutes. Oh, well, like within yeah. the 51st minute. Um, right, within like 30 seconds. Right. Uh, and I thought this whole time that Nolan was aware of this. I've been just watching it on the on the recorder, uh, and I thought he was aware of it. And last week, I think, would we end up at like 50 seconds like 50, and 30, or 50 yeah. minutes and 30 seconds or something like that? And I'm like, wait, right. you realize that we didn't make 51 minutes that time, right? We were so close. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? That's a thing? Like, oh, I thought you knew this whole time, man. <laughs> I know. Okay, I'll 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 add the exact amount of time in silence to get us there. But but like it'll be silence and then the outro will happen right at fifty one minutes. You know okay. what I mean? Like the outro will end at fifty one. Perfect. So our voices will just stop yep. and then for minutes it'll just be nothing it's, until the outro music. It's all about on. that listening pleasure. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nothing but dead air. <laughs> Hashtag listening pleasure. <laughs> I freaking love it. All right. That wraps up episode 109, all about the sting, our hot takes. Next week, we're finishing up our movie recommendations for this round with The Fifth Element on the table, my favorite movie of all time. So how excited are you to watch and give us the hot takes at The Fifth Element? Uh, I'm pretty excited i have not like i said i've caught very very small sections of it on tv and right. it's kind of been on my viewing list for a while and i don't watch a ton of movies so it takes me a long time to get through said list um yeah right. <laughs> but uh i'll for once uh i'll finally be able to get all the fifth element references that you throw my way yes and, uh, they'll all make yes. sense now Right, that'll all make sense now. So you made me kind of nervous, right, when I asked you how excited you are, and then you paused, like, and I thought you were just going to be like, honestly, really man, I, yeah, honestly, man, I'm just going to spark note it. I'm just going to Wikipedia it, act like I actually watched it. I'm going to put it on the TV. I'm going to put it on fast forward. <laughs> well, then, it, well, no, so there's no audio. No, I'm just like, well, then he did the thing, and then this happened, and. Right. Remember when remember when he went like pew pew and then that guy fell over? Yeah, that was a pretty good scene. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. All right. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us and tuning in this week. A little bit late, but hey, we sat down, we got it out, watched the sting. It's a great movie. Thank you guys so much. As always, if you enjoy what you hear, you can follow us on your favorite podcasting platforms, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. We're out there, and we'd love to hear from you. Give us an email at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com for any future show recommendations or guest recommendations. Also, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. Uh, hit that five star as well as take a few seconds. Let us know what you enjoy. Oh, this might actually get us to uh, 51 minutes. Check this out. We got an email from longtime listener and supporter Emily, who was featured on episode 100. Check it out. She's absolutely fantastic. But here she writes in an email to youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. Emily, thank you so much. She says, hey, guys, working on catching up and just listen to the Forbidden Planet review episode. Don't know if you knew this, but there's a stage musical called Return to the Forbidden of the Planet 
Return to the Forbidden Planet, which is based on the film in Shakespeare's The Tempest, which the Forbidden Planet film is considered to be a very loose adaptation of. She said that uh, Bowling Green High School, which is where I grew up, did it as the musical her sophomore year and worked on the costume crew for it. The musical also uses songs from the 50s, which is a nod to the retro futurism that we ended up talking about. Always enjoy listening. Emily. Thank you so much. That's freaking cool. Yes. Let me just take a second to say we absolutely love you. And I'll let Ben do this because he's a big Forbidden Planet plant, uh, forbidden, forbidden Planet fan. And as me being now is my first time watching it for this show, if he ever knew any of that uh, stuff. Uh, yes, I was. I am aware of Return, Return to Forbidden Planet. Have I ever watched it or looked know anything else about it no absolutely not but (laughs) i am aware that it is a thing i believe there's also a well in addition to that there's what is it called i don't want to say a remake but there was a i think it was a smaller independent movie made in the 2000s that was loosely based on the forbidden planet whether it was a following the same series of events or it was set up more as uh, a sequel uh there was something like that as well I, that i mean it's obvious obviously i don't know much about it so i've never seen it um but yes i have heard of return of the forbidden planet cool i was trying to search just sequel just to see if anything came up but i did not exactly find what i was looking for but that's okay that's okay. I love it. Emily, thank you so much for the email. Uh, yeah, I've become a fan of Forbidden Planet. It's good stuff. That's crazy cool that you can even connect with it in the level of uh, being a part of the crew for, uh, what was it, Return of the For- uh, Return to the Forbidden Planet, yeah. which is... Uh, very 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 cool excited to pick your brain while you have while we have while we'll have you on again in the near future uh so you can talk to us about that i definitely uh uh, via audio when you first mentioned that uh we received an email from emily i thought for sure this was going to go in a little bit different direction it was going to be her uh making fun of us for like stumbling through musical terminology oh okay 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 uh she she i don't think she's gotten to that episode quite yet okay uh, I think she's she's one away I after guess we'll, that one. We'll so wait for that. She'll uh, get there. Criticism, constructive criticism right. email. <laughs> right. It, in in the end, I she messaged me saying like, "Oh my god, I I'm loving these episodes with the uh, with the movies or whatever." So she sent the sent us the email, but I told her that you should be proud of us because Ben actually pulled out the diegetic or whatever term that she Di- taught us. Dia- so, diagenetic. Diagenetic. Di- di- I don't think that's right, but it sounds right. That's the way okay, it should be right. if it's not. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cut you off. We're at 51 <laughs> minutes. Here we go. Outro music. <laughs> oh, my God. We made it, man. I can't freaking believe it. Of course we did because we're awesome. So we'll end up being at five out of six just, just episodes over. at 51 right. minutes. Right. As we always say here on Young Nostalgia. Keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. We'll talk to you next week.